You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 105. Psalm chapter 105. If you weren't here with us last week, we wrapped up the final chapters of Exodus. Uh, we covered, I think, 35 through 40. So we went pretty quick last week and we focused in on the grace of God and how it compels us uh, to respond um, to his commands uh, that we, because of our sin and his grace, um, we, we follow his commands thoroughly. We give of ourselves sacrificially. We trust him with the circumstances of our lives wholeheartedly as a means of making his glory known. And so as we were wrapping up last week, we were, we were essentially saying that I mean, God didn't have to keep doing what he did for the people of Israel, right? Like he had already shown a ton of grace and mercy to them by calling them out of uh, bondage in Egypt and rescuing them from their slavery and had gone to great lengths to show himself worthy of their attention and their worship. And yet their payback to him was to quickly turn to false gods, right? They construct idols to worship when when things get tough or they get lonely or they get confused about what God's doing. And so they very quickly turn from him. And we said that man, God didn't have to keep doing what he does for them, right? Like he could have he could have cut them off. He could have changed course. He could have recalibrated what he wanted to do. And, and yet he doesn't. He, he steps in, he deals with the situation, he deals with the issue, and then he gets right back to what he was already doing for them. And we said that they're, that they're called to be obedient. And that's what we see in chapter 35 as they begin to implement the obedience to constructing the tabernacle, building the Ark of the Covenant, sewing together the clothes for the priest. I mean, they're following through. And we gave attention last week to how they do it verbatim, word for word. Everything that God called them to do, they did it, right? And and it's a call to us to do the same thing in our own lives, that because God's shown us grace, we ought to be desiring to do every single thing that he calls us to do, to hear his instructions, to do all that he commands, we talked about how they were listening for needs and giving of themselves to serve as they uh, begin to follow through with God's commands. They need materials to build all this stuff. And so Moses puts out a, a needs list and people begin to respond and they're bringing of the resources that God has given to them. They're bringing of their wealth. They're bringing of their resources and materials. Uh, they're offering up their skills to serve as well, right? Like it's not just bringing all the materials and saying, okay, Moses, do something with that. They come offering their services. Hey, we can build, we can design, we construct, we can sew. So like there's this, this talent and, and treasure piece that we see, right? And then that couples with they gave their time. They gave their time and their talents and their treasures to follow through on what God had called them to do. And at the end of chapter 40, after everything's been constructed, everything's been done, the glory of God comes and dwells on the tabernacle. And we're told as the book closes that going forward, God's presence remained with them and that cloud of glory kept them where they needed to be. It would move sometimes and they would move with it. It would pause and stop sometimes and they would pause and stop with it. And so it it gives us great encouragement to remember too that Jesus told his disciples, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will be with you to the end of the age. Right, And so we can take comfort that God guides us in a very similar way today, not through a cloud of glory, but through the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We, we give ourselves to the Word, and the Holy Spirit moves us and directs us and pauses us sometimes, too, 
when he needs to. Psalm chapter 105 is where I want to draw our attention as we look at some lasting images from Exodus, right? So we, we went through some things very quickly last week. We're closing out this book. We've been in it for a little over a year. And I just want to make sure that we've got some things to hang on to before we leave it, right? Next week, we'll do Application Sunday. I did want to give you a heads up. We're going to do some things a little bit different next week for Application Sunday. We're actually going to have lunch provided for you next week after the service instead of breakfast before. So we'll still start at 1030. We'll have kind of a regular service from 1030. We'll get done about 1130 next week, and we're going to have lunch provided. So we want to encourage you to stay and have that extended fellowship at the end of the service versus the beginning of the service. So just make that adjustment in your minds. We'd love to have you stick around uh, for a little bit and eat and fellowship with us. But we'll have Application Sunday next week and, and really tie in the last few sermons. But today, as we close out Exodus, I want to give you some lasting images to hang on to over the whole book that we've been studying. And we'll start in chapter 105 of Psalm to see what the psalmist tells us about this important story that we've been looking at. It says in verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let your heart, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number of little account and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Verse 16, we see a transition to where we picked up in the book of Exodus. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt with fetters. His neck was put in a collar of iron. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. The king sent and released him. The ruler of the people set him free. He made him lord of his house a ruler and ruler of all his possessions to bind his princes at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. What Joseph's brothers had meant for evil, God meant for good, and he established a setting for the book of Exodus to take place. It says, Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them and miracles in the land of Ham. He sent darkness and made the land dark. They did not rebel against his words. He turned their waters into blood and caused their fish to die. Their land swarmed with frogs, even in the chambers of their kings. He spoke and there came swarm of, swarms of flies and gnats throughout their country. He gave them hail for rain and fiery lightning bolts through their land. He struck down their vines and fig trees and shattered the trees of their country. He spoke and the locusts came, young locusts without number, which devoured all the vegetation in their land and ate up the fruit of their ground. 
He struck down all the firstborn in their land, the first fruits of all their strength. Then he brought out Israel with silver and gold, and there was none among his tribes who stumbled. Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of them had fallen upon it. He spread a cloud for a covering and fire to give light by night. They asked, and he brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. He opened the rock, and water gushed out. It flowed through the desert like a river. For he remembered his holy promise in Abraham, his servant. So he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. And he gave them the lands of the nations. And they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they might keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. Our summary sentence for today, the lasting images of Exodus should remind us that God hears the cries of his people and cares, that he is capable of doing anything and will absolutely do everything to ensure his good presence is experienced by us. The lasting images of Exodus should remind us that God hears the cries of his people and cares, that he is capable of doing anything and will absolutely do everything to ensure his good presence is experienced by us. For our kids, God hears his people and cares enough to respond in all the good ways that we need. Think about where we started this study and the setting of it. The book begins with Israel crying out to God, where are you and what are you gonna do for us? Where have you been? Why are we in this position? Why are we in these circumstances? They're crying out to God. They're groaning and they're wailing and they're wondering. We've only been in 2024 for two weeks and we've already heard cries from our people that are new and fresh, right? New things that our people are experiencing, new trials, new troubles, new difficulties. We're not that different from Israel, right? We find ourselves in position where oftentimes we are crying out to God and we are groaning and wondering, where is he? What will he do for us? But the book ends with Israel resting with God, right? There's a peace, there's a security that's communicated in those final verses. So I turn your attention back to Exodus chapter 40. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. They don't have to question and wonder where God is anymore going forward, right? His presence is with them. His presence is dwelling before them. He's done everything necessary to rescue them. He's done everything necessary to commit himself to them. His good presence is what they're able to rest in here at the end of the book. These words give assurance that God of all glory would be present to grant them all the blessings of his saving grace. In their, tri- in their travels and through all their troubles, God's going to be with them every step of the way. He's going to guide them by his glorious light and defend them with his glorious power by night and by day, crying out at the beginning of the book, resting in peace at the end of the book. I want to remind you, from way back when we first started, why we were studying this book. Why, why did we go to the Old Testament to study the second book of the Bible? Why was it going to be important for us to look at? 
We started by saying it was to embrace the history of God's national people as now the history of God's spiritual people. What we've hopefully seen is that while God was working with national Israel, the things that he's doing there absolutely apply to us as the spiritual people of God today. We've talked before, we'll continue to talk more and more as we go through God's word together, how the people of God in the New Testament are aligned with the people of God of the Old Testament right, that we've been grafted in. We're a part of this people. And so when we read about the history of Israel, we're reading about our own history. This is the history of God at work with his people, and we now are his people. And so we enjoy that history. We enjoy the the reinforcement that that history gives to our own faith, right? If God was faithful to them, he will most certainly be faithful to us. We embrace the history of God's national people as our own history, as his spiritual people to see their history as our history, because what we believe about God today is rooted in what we know about God yesterday, right? What we believe about God today is absolutely shaped by what we think God was like yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before. We've seen who God is. We've seen what he's like in this book, and that's absolutely who he is today. We talked about gaining a deeper trust that our God remembers what he promises and is always working to fulfill those promises. He remembers his promises. We've, we've seen it in Exodus, but you read in Psalm 105, what does the psalmist say? Everything he's doing in that chapter, everything that we're remembering in chapter 105 of Psalm is based on his covenant to Abraham, and he remembered it, and he followed through with it. To see and learn more about who God was and is still today, specifically seeing the fame and glory he deserves now. To see these mighty works that we're told to tell others about, to believe that those mighty works can still be done in our lives today, to understand better our own salvation through Israel's salvation, right? We've seen that salvation works the same way, that we're in bondage, we're in need of help, we're in need of salvation, a help and a salvation that we can't do ourselves, that that God has to do it, right? We said that God establishes this pattern where it's not Moses who's ultimately doing it, it's God, God's raising up Moses. God raises up Aaron. God performs the plagues. He's the one that brings the salvation. I put in my notes, we too were in bondage to sin, but we have been set free by taking shelter under the lamb's blood to worship him as his distinct people. That's the pattern we see in Exodus. How do they get saved? How do they come out of Egypt? How do they live through the night? Well, it's coming under the shelter of the blood of the lamb right? That perfect lamb sacrifice spread on the doorpost. That's how they can ultimately leave singing the next day as Egypt is wailing and crying over the loss of theirs, right? They're able to be going free because of the blood of the lamb. We too are set free because of the blood of the lamb. We come under that shelter of Christ's blood and we're set free to be distinct, to be different, We have a better liberation, a better sacrifice, and a better presence of God. We talked about this last week. Tabernacle, really cool. Would have loved to have been there to see it. But Peter, James, and John get a glimpse of that at the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they want to build tabernacles for the glory of God, God stops them and says, just listen to my son Jesus. He is better than any tabernacle. Better than any tabernacle. We talked about uh, to live out our calling to holiness in a distinct way by learning the desires God has for his people. It's why we didn't run through and and rush through and just skip over some of the weird laws that God gives to us in Exodus, right? Because we looked at the heart of those things. 
Why was he telling them to live and act and do in the ways that he was? Why was he telling him to interact with his people and strangers in the ways that he was? Because he still calls us to those things today. I put in my notes, we're going to face challenges, obstacles, temptations, and distractions along the way of our own journey. And we must remember that God is faithful to his redeemed people, and therefore we must trust him every step of the way. That's how we live distinctly. On our journey, as trials and temptations and obstacles and difficulties and distractions come up, we remember God's faithful. We remember that we're his redeemed people, and we must trust him every step of the way. And then lastly, we did this study to, uh, to realize that God's active, his covenant presence in our life is the thing that matters most. Having God favorably in our life, favorably working for our good, not working for our discipline, right? While that's still good for us, we'd like to avoid those times where God has to get in and, and redirect us and bring us back and, 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 and draw us back home, right? We want to have God's favorable presence in our life. That's the most important thing. That's the image we're given at the, at the end of Exodus 40, this presence of God dwelling with his people, leading and guiding them everywhere they should go. That's what we treasure most. If you read in Hebrews chapter 11, it's what Moses treasured most. He was willing to give up the glories of Egypt. He was willing to step down as the prince of Egypt. He was willing to give up ruling the world empire for the presence of God. He wanted to be aligned with God's people, and he wanted God's presence in his life. What have we learned from this study? We've learned that God's purpose for his people is freedom. Freedom with him in a deep, meaningful, relational way. God's purpose for his people is freedom, freedom with him in a deep, meaningful, relational way. He wants to set his people free from bondage to the gods of this world and to keep them free from going forward. Sorry, keep them free going forward as they learn to responsibly live in both conduct and service with a mindset of contentment rather than complaining in trials and testings. God's purpose for his people. What's his purpose? What was his purpose for them in Exodus? What's his purpose for us now? It's to draw us to freedom, but not freedom to just live and do whatever we want to do. Freedom with him, a deep freedom, a meaningful freedom, a relational freedom. He wants to set his people free from bondage to the gods of this world to keep them free going forward. Because remember, he gives great instructions to Israel about how to steer clear of false gods that they'll encounter in Canaan, right? He's already obliterated the gods of Egypt with all the plagues. He's flooded Egypt by destroying their army. So he's cut them off from the Egyptian gods, but what about all these other gods that are still to come? And he gives them instructions about how to stay free and clear of trusting those things. He wants the same thing for us too. He rescues us from our own bondage to sin, to the gods of this world that we were prone to worship, but he wants us free going forward too. He wants us to live responsibly in our conduct. He wants us to live responsibly by serving other people. A mindset of contentment, not complaining when we're, tri- when we're going through trials and testings. Your spiritual maturity is probably gauged best sometimes by your contentment level and your proneness to complain. How quickly are you complaining about your circumstances? How quickly does it take you to shift into a mindset of God is good and God is working? He wants us to be content in the trials and the testings. Remember, he brings them into settings in the desert where there is no food, there is no water. Will they complain? 
Or will they rest in contentment knowing that God's provision will come? I want to give you uh, three quick points today, three lasting images for me. Maybe these aren't the lasting images for you when you think back through our study in Exodus, things that you're going to remember going forward. There's undoubtedly sermons that you remember uh, from years ago that we've gone through here. And, and, and I want you to remember these three lasting images. I want to draw your attention back to these three things that I think really stand out to me. I think they're going to be things that I continue to remember going forward, even as I forget my own self, my own sermons, my own studies. These are the three things that I think I'm going to hang on to most from our study in this book. Number one, God hears the cries of his people. God hears the cries of his people. I love that this book is, is put in such a way where it's not just God carving out his plans and doing what he wants to do without it tying in the people to it, right? There's an emotional aspect of how this book kicks off. The people need him, right? This isn't Israel in a spot where they're just in in lush glory, enjoying Egypt, and then they get a knock on their door where God says, hey, let's go somewhere else. I want you to be my people, right? Like, like they need him, and God puts them in a position to need him, and they're crying out to him. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, I think is such an important verse in this whole book as we studied it. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. We pray to a God today, the same God who heard and knew this this people back then. We pray to a God today who remembers, who sees, who knows, and not only knows what we're going through, he knows what to do about it. He knows what to do about it. These cries come up to God. We know from our study that God moved and acted in response to these cries. In Exodus chapter 6, verse 2, God informs Moses of what we know to be happening, him hearing these cries. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, The Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. This is what the psalmist is singing about in Psalm 105. Remember everything that God did to make those verses happen. Remember it. Why? Because he's doing the same thing for us today. He's doing the same thing for us today to secure us as his people. He hears. He hears our cries. I told you, there's new cries coming forth from our people in 2024. Things that we're already being tested with, trials that we're already going through that we weren't going through two weeks ago. 
that were, were foreign to us, that weren't on our radar. And all of a sudden, we're going through them now. And we can remember that we can cry out to God. And we can remember what the New Testament tells us, that as we groan, the Holy Spirit groans with us. He groans on our behalf so that the God Almighty knows and sees and hears and responds in the best ways possible for what we need. The New Testament tells us our groans become supernaturally altered where needed to become the very prayers for God's good that we need. That's what we see in Romans 8. He works good for his children. He works good for his children in response to what the Holy Spirit prays for us as his children. We can take comfort in that today. Remember this picture, this image, this lasting image of Exodus. The whole thing starts with the people crying out to God and God hearing them and God seeing them and God remembering them. He cares and he knows what to do with our cares. Number two, God cares enough to respond rightly lest we falter. God cares enough to respond rightly lest we falter. We jump ahead a little bit in the story, um, but it's these two passages that I think are, are buried in the book and oftentimes aren't emphasized and maybe missed. Uh, if we were just retelling these stories to our kids, uh, we might not emphasize these verses because they're, they're minor details maybe in the story of how things play out. We come out from the, the Red Sea um, and God is moving his people forward. But it's the path that he chooses to take that's so important. Verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. It's, it's, a, it's a side note, right? Like, doesn't necessarily change the overall flux of the story. Man, we're so excited to see Israel leaving. We're telling our kids this story. Man, God rescued them, and he brought them to the Red Sea. And when they thought all hope was lost, the sea came crashing down on those Egyptians and killed them. What we sometimes lose sight of is, why are they at the Red Sea? If they were going to the promised land, they should have never been going that direction. Not if, not if they were going off of Google. Right? Like, um, I, thought, I thought I knew the best way to the funeral that I went to yesterday. Right? Like, I know how to get to LaGrange. Um, I plugged it into my, my phone, and it took me, like, the weirdest way possible. Now, I didn't have time to figure out why we were going this way, but I did choose to trust that, that this app on my phone knows better than me. Because oftentimes it knows where the traffic is and where the holdups are and, and how to get me to a destination better, right? May not be faster on the map, but it's faster given the circumstances of what I might have to deal with, right? So I trusted the app. We get to the funeral, and it brings us back a little bit more familiar way on the way home. And I'm thinking, whatever circumstances I needed to avoid going down, those circumstances have been removed, and now I can come back this way, right? We might would have looked at the map and said, far easier, far faster for Israel to go this way. Not faster if they're going to return to Egypt. Not faster if they're going to turn and, and, and hightail it back from where they came from. That's not faster. 
And that's what we're told here, that God takes them on the route that he takes them, lest they falter, lest their faith not finish. I love that word, lest, because I did kind of just a quick word search to see it. And it's a theme where God does things lest certain things happen to us. Now, here's what's awesome is that when it's attached to God doing things, it always happens the way that it should. But if you read back in Exodus 1, the same word is used when Pharaoh, the new Pharaoh, who doesn't know Joseph, kind of surveys the land and says, we need to do something to these Israelites lest they multiply and grow, right? So he thinks we got to do something to stop this from happening. We know that everything that he did caused it to happen, right? Like he is a man who thinks he's the most powerful man on the earth at that time. He says, I'm going to do something to stop what seems inevitable. These Israelites growing into the people of God. We're going to turn them into slaves. We're going to kill their babies. We're going to work them so hard that they can't give attention to anything else. And that chapter says, Israel multiplied greatly, right? He said, lest this happen, let's do this. He couldn't stop it from happening. It did. When God does something, lest something else happen, it doesn't happen. They don't run back to Egypt, right? The other passage where this comes up is um, Exodus 23. He says, I'm going to take you the long way so that your faith doesn't fail. Then he says in Exodus 23, 29, I will not drive them, the people of Canaan, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. He says, I'm not going to bless you too quickly because it'll end up not being a very good blessing for you. I'm not going to give you what you think you need and what you think you want so desperately because if I give it to you too quickly, it won't be good for you. That's the God we serve. And these are side note verses that oftentimes we forget about. But this is the intentionality of the God that we worship, that he works so hard to preserve good for us. Remember, that's, that's how he reveals himself to, to, to Moses. He's good. His goodness is how he's defined. We see his goodness in the ways that he takes us and in the ways sometimes he holds things back from us in the timing that we want because it's not right for us. I want that lasting image burned into my mind because as I journey through this life and I continue to to make my way home to him, I want to know that his route is always the best and that his lack of provision sometimes is even better. Even better. We can trust him in that. As believers, our help comes from the Lord who hears our cries, remembers his covenant promises to us as a people, sees our individual predicaments, and knows exactly what to do when his timing is right to act. We cry out to a God who won't give us evil gifts. That's what Jesus says, right? Like he's better than an earthly father, and even earthly fathers don't give snakes to, to, to children wanting something good, right? Lastly, number three, God is doing everything to show his goodness. God is showing everything to do to show God is doing everything to show his goodness. Even that point number 2, his Red Sea departure plan, his invasion of the promised land plan, it communicates his goodness, right? His wisdom and his provision are working for our good. The last image that I want to remember 
Not only can we cry out to God and he hear us, not only can we cry out to a God who responds in the best ways possible for us, we can trust that he's always doing everything to show his goodness. Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I'll show mercy on whom I will show mercy. We fast forward to the next chapter, chapter 34, verse five. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, being stead, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin, but who by no means clear the guilty. We see the character of God. We see the actions of God in this book, and we see how they work together to bring us to him. Think about the tablets that he carves out, right? Like He's communicating to his people who he is. He's a good God. He's a gracious God. He's a merciful God, but he's a holy God who doesn't just clear sin and wipe it away as though it's nothing. His tablets, his commandments, they communicate his holiness, but his tabernacle communicates his grace and mercy. That's what we've been seeing about this God of Exodus that's the God we worship today. He's a gracious and merciful God. Sure, we got the tabernacle, but he's a holy God who gives tablets of commands that we can't keep, making that tabernacle so necessary. The fact that Moses can't even enter this tabernacle, we read it again today in chapter 40 where Moses can't go in the tabernacle, proves that God's not letting the best people in without blood. Right? Moses is the best of the best at this point. And when that cloud descends, God has already said, you're not going into the Holy of Holies without blood sacrifice. And we're told specifically that Moses cannot go in because he's not the high priest, doesn't have the blood sacrifice. All of this points to Jesus, right? All of this points to the sacrifice that we need to be accepted by him. He is a God who is, still, who is still revealing himself today. He is a God who still hears the cries of his people today. He is a God who still rescues from evil today. He is a God who still provides our daily needs in both normal and miraculous ways. He is a God who still guides us today. Everything he is doing is done to show his goodness. We can remember that lasting image as we reflect back on our studies in Exodus. He hears the cries of his people. He cares enough to respond in the right, best ways possible. And he's always doing everything to show his goodness. He wants to ensure that his good presence is experienced by us. And so he, he does everything necessary to rescue us back because we fail. Because we fail, he still remains good and he institutes that tabernacle. He institutes the sacrifice system. He institutes Jesus coming to be our perfect lamb. Let's look at two points of application today. Number one, remember that the great God of Exodus will never leave us or forsake us. Remember, the great God of Exodus will never leave us or forsake us. The God who heard the cries of Israel, who planned a way of escape, who sent the plagues, who rescued his people, who parted waters, who provided in the desert, who spoke his law, who designed the tabernacle, who passed by Moses, that God is still among us today. And we need to keep coming back to him. Psalm chapter 81 is a verse that we read to kind of kick off this study. Everything that we've seen in Exodus, 
ought to draw us back to him when we need him most. Look what he says in 81 verse 10 of Psalm. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Come back to that God and he will fill you. He will care for you and he will take care of you. Like our kids need to hear this. Our youth need to hear this. They come back to this God, the God that that you've told them all these stories about from the Bible. Keep pushing them to know this is the God they run back to when life gets tough. As they keep getting older and they start to go through trials and testings of their own, not just what the family's going through, but what they're personally going through. Come back to this God. They can open their mouth wide and he will fill it. He's that type of God. Think about what we're told in Psalm 105 to give thanks to this God regularly, to call upon him always, to make him known to others intentionally. And then lastly, number two, don't be normal people. Be special people for the glory of God. That's where the, that's where the shift in the story changes. After they've been rescued, they're then told how to live accordingly, how to be different, how to be separate, how to be distinct. That same calling is for us today, to be separate, different, and distinct. I'm excited about where the Lord's going to take us in the coming months. Um, I'm still praying through whether there's going to be a gap between this study and our next study, but once I decide that, we're definitely going to be heading to the book of Acts and going through the, the people of God in the New Testament, right? So we've seen the people of God in the Old Testament and where they start. Makes sense now to go to the New Testament and see where God's people start in the book of Acts, where it's now Jews and Gentiles coming alike, right? And where does the church come from? And where does our understanding of church even come from today? We're going to look at the book of Acts, and I'm excited to see uh, what God's going to continue to teach us as he's molding us as the people of God today, right? Let's pray together. God, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you for what we've learned about you. This study has been so enriching for me to get a deeper glimpse of who you are and who you've been for the people, a people that I'm a part of. God, I'm thankful that, that today I can, I can know that if I cry out to you, you hear me. That's a lasting image that you've given me that I'll never lose. God, when I'm going through trials and testings and difficulties, I wanna see myself in Egypt. I wanna see myself under the harsh treatment of slavery. And I wanna see myself crying out to you and you hearing me. Lord, I wanna anticipate deliverance coming. I want to anticipate that you're, rising, you're raising up a Moses who's going to come and, and release me and, and deliver me. Lord, I want that lasting image forever, that you are a God who hears the cries of your people. Lord, I want the, the lasting image of your people leaving and potentially talking and discussing, hey, I thought we were going to Canaan. Why are we going this direction? This isn't the right way. Lord, I want that word lest to be burned in my mind, that you do things sometimes lest I do the wrong thing. God, help me to see that sometimes my circumstances and and the routes that you choose for me aren't the the things that I would have chosen for myself. But God, help me to pause and and to just admit that I don't know what's best for me. Lord, help me to trust that you always do know, that you're the the source of goodness. And if I desire good for my life, then I need to be trusting that goodness flows from you. God, burn into our minds that lasting image that you're always working good for your people. 
that in the midst of providing tablets of commands, you were also making provisions for a tabernacle of grace and mercy where your people could be forgiven. Lord, help me to see that you're, you're committed to me knowing your goodness and that you're, can, you're, you're capable of doing anything and you're going to absolutely do everything to make sure that my faith doesn't fail and that I experience your goodness today, tomorrow, and for all eternity. God, thank you for calling us to be a part of this people that you've been so faithful to. God, help us to trust that you continue to be faithful to your people today. Prepare our hearts and minds for what you're going to teach us in the book of Acts as we fast forward thousands of years and we see you showing up again to be faithful to your people. Help that faithfulness to sustain our faith as we leave today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.